please take out your Bibles and hold them up. Hold up those Bibles. Let me see a couple more of those. Hold on, make sure. Now put it on the other arm. We want to make sure that you get a good workout today. All right. And this side, say amen. This side, say hallelujah. Everybody say praise the Lord. Now I have to tell you something. This side, you were a little weak. You're a little weak. So during the sermon, you have an opportunity to make it up there. Uh, Jimmy, we always rely on you to, to boost the side, and you didn't do it too well this, today. So uh, we're going to turn to Matthew's Gospel, the 14th chapter, and we're continuing along part two of uh, the series on combating the vampires of joy, which is uh, this year, it's the 2022 edition, as we're getting ready for Halloween tomorrow. I know some places have already had their trick-or-treating. Matthew 14, chapter 20, chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water come he said then peter got out got down out of the boat walked on the water and came toward jesus but when he saw the wind he was afraid and beginning to sink cried out lord save me immediately jesus reached out his hand and caught him you of little faith he said why did you doubt and when they climbed in the boat the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped, worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May the Lord bless us reading of the gospel message. So this is part two. So if you missed part one, uh, thank goodness there's YouTube. You can go back and watch it. I'm not going to rehash everything in part one, but I'll give you a little bit of a synopsis. This sermon was a sermon that I had, the, the title I had originally done uh, 16 years ago uh, in reaction to some people in my life, some people in my family, which by the way, uh, interesting that um, those people that in my family uh, that listen online or, or maybe here apparently didn't listen wholeheartedly last week because one of those individuals a.k.a. my father, thought I might be referring to him as the vampire of joy. And as I said, I did not say it was anybody listening online or anybody here. But I think we all have people in our lives that seem to be those people that kind of suck out the joy in our life. And one of the things that I had a revelation about uh, over when I came to this um, series again is the fact that I am my own biggest vampire of joy. No one can take away what God has given to us. And joy is the birthright of every child of God. And while no one can take away that joy, I can give up my joy. I'm the one that chooses to surrender my joy 
I surrender my joy to the trials and tribulation that we all go through in this world. And so when we come to this passage in Matthew chapter 14, interesting, there's so many times, there's various times that Jesus will tell his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side. And Jesus tells the disciples to get in the boat. And when whenever he tells them to get in the boat, it is very seldom calm waters. When he tells them to get in the boat, one time he's asleep in the boat and he's sleeping there and there's a storm and a squall that comes up and the disciples are in a panic. They think they're going to die. Notice that there's probably here a pattern of behavior with the disciples that when they get in the boat, they think they're going to die the minute the storm comes up and they get to the other side. Now, I want you to remember this. They get to the other side. And here we go again in Matthew chapter 14 that we just read. The disciples, Jesus sends them ahead of him, goes on ahead because Jesus is going up to the mountainside to pray. And he sends them by boat to get to the other side. And then it says the boat was already, already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Jesus sends his disciples into a situation, into a scenario where the wind is against them, where the circumstances are against them. And sometimes in our lives, we, right, there's a lot of times in our lives where we feel like the wind is against us, where the circumstances are against us. And our natural reaction is similar to those disciples. It's first, we're going to try to figure out everything that we can do to get ourselves out of that situation. And it's interesting that it says that they were already a considerable distance from land because I think that our first reaction is always to retreat. That the disciples probably went, this is a bad storm, but all, we're already too far from where we started. I guess we're gonna have to go forward here. And I think back in our own lives, how many times we think about retreating. We are so many times on the cusp of a breakthrough on the cusp of that miracle, but many times we have given up before the storm was over. We give up and we go back. Now, here's what happens in this story. In the story, Jesus comes walking on the water, but what I want us to notice is Peter's reaction here. Peter says, now first, Jesus says, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. 365 times in the Bible, do not be afraid. Because why, church? We have a tendency to be afraid all the time. And when we are fearful, we make bad decisions. We make bad decisions. So you can be guided by faith or you can be guided by fear, but you can't be guided by both. Now, fear is a natural reaction. We need to understand that. It's going to be natural. That fear is going to come up. But whenever that fear rears its head, we have to answer that fear with our faith. We have to confront fear with faith. And so this is what Jesus says, take courage and as I do not be afraid. And you got to like Peter. Peter, unlike the rest of them, is actually the one speaking back to God. See, in the storms in our lives, we actually have to have a conversation with God. The rest of them are sitting there terrified, thinking that there is a ghost. But Peter, listen. Peter is the only one having a conversation with Jesus in the midst of the storm. Jesus spoke to all of them, 
but only one replies back to him and says, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus has this, just this one answer, come. And then it says, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Now that line right there, Jesus says, come. And Peter hears and he obeys. He gets down out of the boat, walks on the water and came toward Jesus. My friends, how many times do we stay in the boat? How many times do we stay in the same situations in our lives and we're never going to actually make any changes? We're just going to hear the word. But as the Bible says, we're going to hear the words, but we're not going to be doers of the word. Peter heard the word of the Lord come and immediately gets down out of his boat. Some of us get addicted to our boats. We get addicted to our problems. But Jesus is calling us to get out of the boat. Everybody say amen. I'm preaching better than you're acting here. So we get out of the boat. And what does this have to do with joy? Well, here's the thing. God calls all of us to walk in the joy that is our birthright. But in order to walk in the joy in our birthright, the joy isn't meant for staying in the boat. It isn't meant to stay in the boat. It's meant to get us out of our boat so that we go into the deep waters with Jesus, that we are walking over top of those problems that are coming our way. The problems are going to keep coming our way. The difficulties are going to keep on coming. In fact, if you're having a great day, good for you. Hold on to that great day because Here's the shortest verse in the Bible, and it came to pass, one of the shortest verses. Because if you're having a good day, it's going to pass. If you're having a bad day, thank the Lord, it's going to pass. And if you're somewhere in between, recognize you're going to pass at some point in time. But And it came to pass, the Bible says. But we have to learn how to get out of our boats. In other words, we have to learn how to get out of our way to experience the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Now, what we talked about last week briefly is that joy is the fruit of our living hope that is focused on Christ. Happiness is based upon our circumstance, based upon this moment. But hope keeps us anchored in the future, and it's supposed to be a living hope, a dynamic hope. That is this idea that, you know, one of the things that is so bewildering to me is why Christians who will sing the song and get all excited about the song when we all get to heaven all want to avoid death. And I go, but here's the thing. When we sing the song, when we all get to heaven, we're all clapping our hands at that point. But then we're all struggling to hold on because I think sometimes we don't have a living hope. Maybe we have an inherited hope. Maybe we have a hope that somebody talked about, but it's not a living hope, a dynamic hope, recognizing that Jesus is alive and well, and that in Christ, there is no death. Death has been swallowed up in victory, and there is only life, life, and more life. Amen? Thank you, Jimmy. Somebody's awake here. So, in Romans 15, 13, it says this, May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So God wants us to be filled with joy and peace. But how do we get that joy and peace? In believing. In believing. In believing what? It's in believing that the promises of our hopes are real. It's believing in the living Christ, the Christ that is with us, that is guiding us, and that is shaping us. In Romans 14, 17, Paul writes this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now here's what I want us to see looking at this passage backwards here. That is, we don't get to this point of experiencing joy until we experience peace. Until we experience his peace, you can't experience joy. Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not like the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. But here's the thing. We can't experience his peace unless we also first experience his righteousness. And experiencing his righteousness, what does that mean? That means putting all of our chips on grace, putting all of our bets on grace so that we can finally learn how to enjoy God. I know a lot of people that do not enjoy God. They have gone to church all their lives. They might know all kinds of scripture verses, but they don't enjoy God because of this idea. We talk about grace, we sing about grace, but are we going to be wholeheartedly reliant upon grace? Because it is by grace that we are saved, through faith that we access that grace, and by that grace, through faith, our faith is credited to us as righteousness. That is good news. In other words, God takes all the bad stuff that I do in my life, all the mess-ups that I do in my life, and I don't know about you, but I do a lot of mess-ups. Anybody there? All right, all the mess-ups. God doesn't look at those mess-ups anymore. He looks at my faith. He looks at my faith, and then he takes that faith, and he says, we're going to convert it, convert that faith, over into righteousness. So I get the righteousness of Christ through faith. I get to learn how to enjoy my life then when I am fully right with God, when I recognize, you know what? I may be a mess, but I am under construction. Anybody there with me? I'm not where I used to be, but thank God I'm on my way. I'm on my way to higher ground there. And so when I get to this point, of learning that I'm right with God. And then this weird thing, this peace, that what it says, peace, that surpasses all understanding. That means even while I'm in the boat, even while the storm is buffeting me, even while all those things are happening, I can maintain my peace. And everybody say maintain my peace. You got to maintain your peace. You got the peace, but it's up to us to keep it and to maintain it. And then it's up to us to keep and maintain our joy. Now, joy is a byproduct of the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And I'm so grateful for that because, again, all those things that the Holy Spirit does in our life means that I can't do it on my own. And I'm grateful for that because when I look at the fruits of the Holy Spirit, I go, they don't look like my fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all those things. 
you know, it, I, I go to Rotary, Marlene goes to Rotary, and this week at Rotary, every week they, you have to give dollars, happy bucks, and you have to say what you're happy for and give a dollar, and it goes into the plate there. And um, I said, well, could we have grumpy bucks? I think we should have grumpy bucks. And I gave $20 just to stand up there and be grumpy. Because um, I said, well, I, I think we should have grumpy bucks there. Because I don't naturally feel happy all the time. There are, I mean, that's the good news is that here's the thing. You can be joyful and not be happy all the time. You can feel peace and your life can be in chaos. That's what it means by peace that surpasses all understanding. So if you're like myself, I'm the greatest vampire of my own joy. God gives me joy. God gives us all these things, but unless I actually use them, it doesn't mean anything. And in order to use them, I actually got to put on things. I got to put on peace. I got to put on righteousness. I got to put on joy. I was sharing with Jenna earlier today that I have a, a senior moment uh, this morning where I was putting on my clothes and I couldn't find my belt. I was going through everything in my in my uh, in my bedroom and couldn't find my belt. And turns out it was on the entire time. Anybody been there with me? There all right. Maybe you couldn't find your glasses and they were actually on your head or on your face. Um, but it was there the whole time. And I got to tell you something. I thought about that when it comes to joy. Because I think of how many people go, oh, I need more joy or I need more peace. It was there all along. We just have to slow down and pay attention to what's right in front of us. So how do we fight ourselves and experience joy? Well, joy is a byproduct of cultivating by cultivating informed, personal, and responsive trust. I want us to hear those three things. Informed, personal, and responsive trust. That is, it isn't a blind faith. We, should, we have access to know all kinds of things about God. We choose to be ignorant. Our ignorance of God is a choice. We have been given his son. We have been given his living word. We have been given his Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have been given the Holy Scriptures, and we have access to gather with one another to worship, to sing, to praise, to study, and to do all those things. And if you don't know about God, it's because you choose not to know about God. And we need to understand that that is a choice to live in ignorance. And that choice to live in ignorance has consequences in our lives. And so if we want to experience greater levels of freedom, we want to experience greater levels of joy and greater levels of peace, then we have to experience greater levels of trust. But you can't trust someone or something that you know nothing about. That's just foolishness there. And so that is why the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So that Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. You know what the Father's like if you've seen me. But here's the question, church. Have you just heard about him or have you seen him? Have you seen him with your own eyes? Now, I'm not talking about those physical eyes, but we walk by faith, not by sight. I'm talking about those spiritual eyes. Are our hearts inclined to him? Are we looking to him? Are we relying on him? Now, I say all this to say also we 
are very weak on our own accord. And that and that's a natural thing. This is what Paul says in Romans. You know that passage, and I've shared this before, but I'm going to read it in the message translation. But it's Romans chapter 7. It's kind of this confusing chapter where Paul says, I, the thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I do, I don't want to do. And we all look at that passage and we're all kind of confused by it. But at the end of the day, that passage that really defines how we live out our lives most of the time. Here's what it says in the message translation. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Anybody there? Decisions don't result in actions there. And then he says, something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. I appreciate Paul's honesty there because we're all there. We can hear a sermon about joy. We can hear a sermon about peace. We can hear a sermon about trusting in God. But yet we know that there's something going on. There's something wrong deep within us. So then Paul goes on and he says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there any, is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And then this great answer, Paul says, I, see, I like the fact that the biblical writers, they talk to themselves all the time. Because I talk to myself all the time. I mean, I'm grateful for my dog because she just listens to me. And I like when dogs sit there and turn their head like, she knows what I'm saying at that moment in time. But the biblical writers learned the secret of positive self-talk, of talking to themselves and talking back and talking to their feelings. And this is what Paul says, where is my help going to come? And he goes, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does what needs to be done in our life. That the answer to the, this idea that, Paul in the New International Version says, what a wretched man that I am, that the very thing that I want to do, I don't want to do, I do, and the very thing that I do, I don't want to do, blah, 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 and our brains are all over the place, but he comes down to this point, and the point that we all need to get to is trust in Jesus Christ that he's going to get it done. I may be a mess, but he's going to get it done. Go ahead and clap, go ahead. Jesus is going to get it done. But we always, we're, again, we're like the 11 disciples who remain in the boat. We hear about how Jesus is going to get it done, but only Peter got the opportunity to walk on the water. And I don't want us to get caught up with the fact that Peter got his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink. I want us to give Peter a round of applause for actually being the one to talk to Jesus. And go ahead, Janet. There you go. Peter talks to Jesus, hears Jesus, and responds to Jesus. A lot of us have been doing a lot of talking to Jesus. Maybe we've gotten to that part, but how many of us are listening to Jesus? And then how many of us are responding to Jesus? That's a whole nother set of questions there. Now, here's the thing. Now, if you don't feel like you have a lot of joy in your life, again, it's the same thing with peace. You got the joy just like you got the belt. It just might be under your gut a little bit there. 
So God restores our joy, the Bible tells us. Because God is a giver of joy, he also restores the joy. Psalm 51, 12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So the first step to getting to this point of experiencing the joy is the same thing that Peter did, where he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. The first step for all of us is go, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, again, I don't think a lot of us get to this point of learning how to enjoy God and enjoying the fact there is really, church, while we can have days that we're going to have down days, and I've been having plenty of down days recently, there is, should be nothing to steal our joy. Why? Because we nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, and that in Christ we have life, life, and more life. We have all these inheritance. The Bible tells us about all the inheritance that we have in God. But you know what? Many of us aren't reading it to know what we have as an inheritance and to know that that inheritance never spoils. It never fades. It's always there with us. And we are always part of God's family. Nothing separates us from that. So not only does God restore our joy, here's the other thing that we got to do to fight self is you got to keep getting out of the boat. So what if you, Peter got his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink. We're all going to get our eyes off of Jesus and begin to sink from time to time. Again, as I said last week, I really appreciate the fact that it said immediately Jesus was right there to lift him up because Jesus knew we were going to sink. He knows that we're weak. And that's the whole point. Paul recognizes when I am weak, that's when Christ's power is made perfect in us. When we finally get to this point, church, of admitting the, our weaknesses, admitting our faults, not glorifying in our weaknesses, because there's a lot of people that like to glorify in their weakness. They like to talk about their weakness. I'm not talking about talking about it all the time, but admitting it to yourself, admitting I can't do this on my own, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And Paul says, when I am weak, that's when I am made strong. When we finally get to this point of resting in Christ's sufficiency rather than our own self-sufficiency, that's where you get to also enjoy the rest of God. You get to enjoy God. Again, I find it so sad that people don't enjoy God. In order to enjoy God, you got to keep getting out of the boat. Those disciples, they saw a ghost. Peter saw Jesus. How many of us come to church worshiping a ghost rather than worshiping a living Christ? A living Christ who's calling us to get out of the boat. A ghost is just a portrait of what was past. Jesus is a living hope. He's alive. He's well. And he's moving among us. We should get excited about that. Henry Nowen, I quoted him last week, but here's what he also said about joy. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. 
See, I get, I am just like Peter. I get myself focused on the waves. I get myself focused on the wind. I might get out of that boat, but I get focused on all that stuff and I begin to sink. But that's where we can hear those words of Henry now and keep choosing joy. So what if you get knocked down? You get back up again. You start, the Christian life is not like Superman jumping from building to building, one tall building to a building. And it's not like Tarzan swinging from one vine to another vine. It's more like a baby who falls down and gets back up again, keeps falling down, and you got the parent going, come to mama, come to daddy. And that's what Jesus is saying to all of us. Come to me, keep on coming. Don't give up getting out of that boat because one day it is all going to work. You're gonna, it's going to click. But it's never going to click just sitting in the boat. And so, my friends, we got to learn how to spend time in God's presence. I talked about that before, but where we do a lot of talking to God, we might even do singing to God. Those are all great things. But there's something to be said about just quieting ourselves. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that he is God. To be quiet and to know him. God has so much he wants to tell us. He has so much. Jesus says this. I have so much I want you to know, but you're not ready for it. And that's why I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. My friends, are we letting the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us into all truth? Are we so busy doing and so busy talking that we're not just busy abiding? That's what we're called to do. That's all we're called to do. Abide in me and I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit. I am the vine and you're the branches, Jesus says. Our job is to just remain connected. Just remain connected. And then the fruits start coming out of our life. Our job, church, is not to be busy. It's to be fruitful. It's to produce fruit in our life. And I would love to have a church of fruity people. And I know you got fruit in you. And it's just waiting to pop out because you got all of Jesus inside of you. But what we do is we get in the way of Jesus rather than cooperating with Jesus and allowing that fruit to just pop out of our lives. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist recognizes first, when I spend time with God, I'm going to know the path of life. I'm, not go I'm going to know where God is calling me to go. And sometimes where he calls us to go is just one step at a time. He doesn't give us the whole path, just gives us that next step. The second thing is in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Not a little bit of joy, fullness of joy, right? Because Joy is rooted in that living hope. And when I get to know who's alive, then I get to joy. And then at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything else will be added unto you. Focus major on the major and minor on the minor. But stop, church, majoring on minor things. Keep Christ at the center of our thinking. Romans 12, 2. In the New Living Translation says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Everybody say let. Let God transform you into a new person 
by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We have to let God change our way of thinking, recognizing we all got stinking thinking and we got to let that go. The last, one of the last ones I want to tell you is to learn how to take care of yourself. I'm not very good at this. I'm trying. I'm learning. And nothing says this when you're doing this Bible study for the 23rd Psalm. And we're talking about the Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And we're talking about the rest of God. And everybody on the Bible study is like, well, you don't know how to do that, pastor. And I went, you're right. I, I haven't learned how to do that. But you know what? Here's the thing, church. We got to learn how to take care of ourselves. In 1 Kings chapter 19, you got the prophet Elijah. In chapter 18, he battles all the false prophets of Baal. And he does this great, wonderful miracle and all this stuff. And then in chapter 19, he's being chased by Jezebel. Now he is tired, he's exhausted, and he goes out into the wilderness and he's like, I just want to die. Anybody been there? Where you just go, one more thing, one more thing. So what is God's answer to the prophet, Elijah? Take a nap. There you go, Don. Take a nap. Sometimes you just got to take that nap. And then here's what the angel does. Not only does the angel go take a nap, eat a meal. I love it. This is how God operates. Eat and take a nap. Why? Because you got to take care of yourselves. There are things that God has given you stewardship over. And God can't get in your way. If you're going to eat a dozen donuts, God is not going to zap a dozen donuts out of your mouth. I've tried it. It doesn't happen. But we got to learn how to take care of ourselves. That means making sure that we're getting the sleep that we need. We're eating the things. Because how many of us know if we don't sleep right, we're not very joyful. And if we don't eat right, not very joyful. So there's those things. And then uh, here's another thing I got to tell you, church. And this I added today. Speak good words about yourself and other people. How many of you say bad things about yourself? Oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, when I read in the Bible that that actually is a sin. Saying bad things about yourself is a sin. And you go, well, how can that be? Well, what are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and understanding. And the second is love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what is love? Love is patient. It's kind. It's gentle. It keeps no record of wrongs. How many of you are keeping a record of wrongs about yourself and repeating them out loud? Your words have power. You've been created in the image of God. With words, God created the universe. With words, you create your own universe that you're living in. And some of us are living in a universe of condemnation and putting ourselves down. And I need you to hear this right now. Stop it. You stop it. You start saying the things that God says about you. You are the apple of God's eye. God knows every hair on your head, and he even knows how many I still have on my head. I am a masterpiece in God's eyes. And that's what you, don't say amen. You're one of the biggest people that you need to learn how to self-talk. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm pointing y'all. I won't just point out her. Okay, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. You're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. We all say bad things about ourselves. 
And then we wonder why we say bad things about other people. Because here's the thing, church, you can't give away what you don't own. What you don't own if it hasn't become real for you. And lastly, through it all, trust God and do good. Psalm 37, 1 through 3. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be envious against those who work for unrighteousness, that which is not upright or in right standing with God, for they will soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust, lean on, rely on, and be confident in the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land and feed surely on his faithfulness, and truly you shall be fed. You want to know the secret of joy? It is this. Trust God, do good. Trust God, do good. Everybody say it. Trust God and do good. And here's the promise. You will dwell and feed on his faithfulness. And truly you shall be fed. And your joy will be full. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. Father, may we walk in that joy. May we experience that joy. Not just hear about the joy, but experience it as we dwell in your presence. Father, may we be filled with that joy and spread that joy wherever we go. Church, please stand. Place your hands out and receive now the commission and benediction. Go now as those who have found favor in the sight of God. Be imitators of Jesus Christ and an, and an example to all of the life of faith. To the world in which you live, give your love and service. And to God, give all that you are and all that you shall be. And may the glory of God's goodness be revealed to you. May the grace and peace of Jesus Christ take root in you. And may the inspiration of the Holy Spirit fill you with joy. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord and all God's children said, Amen.